0: In the final week of our message series called In the Valley. This is a series where we are focusing in on how to find real hope in some of life's most difficult situations because sometimes it can be hard to get a feel for how am I supposed to handle myself as a believer when I'm just in a difficult time, when I don't feel happy, when I don't feel peppy, when I don't feel like clapping during the music at church. What do I do? when I feel so different to my idea of what a Christian's supposed to be. Last week we looked at what to do on the worst day of your life, some practical things to remember to get you through those first 24 hours after the news hits, the accident happens, the diagnosis is given. And this week we're gonna look at how to navigate the valley. The valley is something that has been used in literature and poetry for thousands of years as the opposite to the mountaintop. If the mountaintop is a metaphor for our highest and greatest moments in life, then the valley is a metaphor for those low moments and seasons in life. And today we're gonna talk about how to find hope, how to hold on, how to keep going, and how to keep the faith when you find yourself in the valley for weeks, months, or even years. And I wanna share that the issue of suffering is is a very, very trendy topic. I'm not really sure why, but my generation, a millennial generation in the faith, loves the idea of suffering. I don't know what it is. We've literally almost elevated it to the point where being miserable is more spiritual than being happy. And suffering is more spiritual than prospering. And that's really not true. They're just different places you can find yourself at in different times. And so if anybody's thinking it, no Christian needs to write another book on suffering, okay? There's a book on suffering coming out about every week right now in the Christian world and about how great suffering is. So I want to address firstly one of the big important things, which is that it's worth asking why we're suffering. I I know this sounds logical, but write this down. The first step is to diagnose the why. Why are we in the valley? Our response shouldn't be, oh, I'm suffering. This is awesome because Jesus suffered. Clearly, I'm in the will of God. Everything's great. It's worth pausing to really consider Why am I suffering? What has caused me to be in the valley? Because the reasons will have a huge impact on how you should respond to the reality that you find yourself in the valley. While talking about remedies and solutions is good, any doctor will tell you it's vital to first diagnose the problem before you begin treating it. Otherwise, you may end up taking cough drops for a headache or a sleep aid for tendonitis. A good solution is only a good solution if it helps your problem. The fact that it may help somebody else's problem doesn't help you. If you find yourself in a season of difficulty, another believer may tell you, all you need to do is quote these verses about deliverance and stand in faith and God will take care of it. Well, what if the reason we're experiencing pain and difficulty is because we've made some sinful decisions and now we're... Just experiencing the natural consequences of our sinful decisions. Is quoting scripture going to fix our problem? It's not. In that instance, God would want us to repent and to change our behavior and beliefs, not quote His own word back at Him and expect to be blessed while we continue sinning. To the best of our ability, it's wise and helpful to take the time to prayerfully consider the reasons we find ourselves in the valley. And one of the things that will drive most doctors crazy is the patient who spends 10 minutes on the internet and self-diagnoses themselves and comes into the doctor's office convinced that they are the authority on what's going on with them because they spent 10 minutes on Google. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You see, counseling yourself can be a very dangerous business. The Lord desires to speak to each of us individually, but sometimes we're unwilling to hear. Sometimes we're unable to hear. And for those reasons, it's wise to seek counsel when making major life decisions or walking through a difficult season of life. And to be clear, let's define what a counselor is in this context. It's not automatically your mom, or your best friend. A counselor is a mature believer, someone who has a track record of living a faithful life serving Jesus. Someone whose life is marked by the kind of wise decisions you would like to make. And so it's always a disaster when somebody who's battling an addiction or a sin decides that their friend who's battling the same thing is a good counselor. I just messed up in this area again. (sighs) Me too. It doesn't help anybody. That's why Jesus said, hey, first take the speck out of your own eye. The point isn't judge. It's then you will see fit. Then you will be able to help your brother. Then you're going to be able to help him. A wise counselor is somebody who is already living the way you would like to live, has a track record of making decisions with the wisdom that you would like to see mark your own life. That's who a counselor is. And here's what I know. Seeking counsel requires humility. Because you're saying, I'm not really sure what I should do here. I don't have all the answers. What do you think is right? And God promises to bless the humble. In fact, James 4, 6 tells us God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble Can I tell you from my own experience that God always gives me clarity on an issue when I'm willing to humble myself and seek wise counsel? However it happens, it's not that I always find a person who gives the perfect advice, but even as they're speaking, the voice of the Holy Spirit becomes more clear. Sometimes you might ask someone for wise counsel and they're a good person. They might tell you something and the Holy Spirit will clearly tell you, I want you to do the exact opposite of that. And you go, what? What? I thought they were a wise person. They are, but what's happening? Well, you humbled yourself. You went to God's people, and the Holy Spirit is honoring that by giving you clarity, by giving you clarity. It's always worked that way in my life. And it's not always that, I'm sorry, I got lost, wrong place. Okay, so you get the right advice from the Holy Spirit, then you just need to be humble enough to accept it. As you attempt to diagnose the reasons you find yourself in the valley, it is wise to seek wise counsel. And to state the obvious, one of those counselors should be the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. Take some time to fast and pray. My goodness, don't we all have bad decisions that we've made in life that we look back and said, I wish I would have just stopped and prayed a little bit first. I wish I wouldn't have been in such a hurry about that decision. I wish I would have sought the Lord a little bit more. James 1.5 also, also says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it. He'll give it to you. And then between God's word God's Spirit and God's people, the Lord will confirm what he wants you to know. Did you catch that? God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's people will be in unity. And that is the order of priority. If you think the Holy Spirit is telling you something that contradicts the Word of God, he's not. You're making it up in your own mind and convincing yourself you're hearing from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. This is why we love the word of God so much because we wake up some mornings and we think some crazy thoughts and it's not because the Holy Spirit's speaking to us, it's because we had too much pizza last night. That's what's going on. But you open up the Bible, doesn't matter how much pizza you had last night, the Bible still says what the Bible says. It's right there in black and white. So the Bible is the standard that helps us to discern, have I heard from the Holy Spirit or am I just deluding myself into something? If one of God's people is telling you something that contradicts God's word, they're wrong. They're wrong. If it's really God speaking through a person, it'll line up with the word of God. And if you want to discover the reasons why you're in the valley, seek the counsel of God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. How you and I need to respond to a season in the valley really depends very much on what the reasons are for us being in the valley. So what are the reasons? What are the reasons and what response do they demand? I wanna suggest to you the reasons we find ourselves in the valley are generally one of five possibilities. This is the first one, write this down. The first one is purification, purification. As we talk about on a regular basis, God's greatest goal for you and I is not that our lives would be easy and comfortable His greatest goal for you and I is that we would become more like his son, Jesus. It's a process that begins the moment we give our lives to him, and it's a process that is finally finished when we arrive in his presence in heaven. So how do you and I know that we're becoming more like Jesus? How do you know that you're becoming more like Jesus? You've probably heard the old illustration that we're all like a tube of toothpaste when the squeeze is on what comes out. Whatever was in the tube, whatever was in the tube, so too when you and I are placed under pressure in life, whatever comes out of us reveals what was really inside of us. The Bible talks about this process as being like gold being purified. The way gold is purified is that it's passed through the fire. It's heated to incredibly intense temperatures and then all the impurities, the dross, rises to the top of the golden floats and it can be skimmed off by the goldsmith purifying the gold. You see, you and I need those seasons in life where it is revealed whether or not we really believe what we claim to believe. And this is not a test from God so that he can gather information. God's not up in heaven going, I wonder if they really love me. He knows. He's God. We are the ones who need to know. We're the ones who need that information. It's to allow us to see ourselves clearly and take stock of where our faith really is. To find out what we really believe. You know, I've had trials in my life that I've handled well. I've walked by faith unwaveringly, and I've seen God inevitably come through, and I treasure those experiences. But I've also had trials that I look back on with shame and embarrassment, if I'm being honest. I had little faith. I allowed myself to be overwhelmed by anxiety and worry. And those times built in me, and will build in you, a determination to walk through the next trial with faith because God held up a mirror and he let me see where my faith was really at and I realized it's lacking right now. And it put a resolve in me to be a man of faith the next time I went through a trial. Peter had the same experience, didn't he? Denied knowing Jesus three times in Jesus's hour of greatest need. Said, I don't even know you. Jesus, you know the story, restored Peter. How did Peter live with himself? How did he ever get over that? I think the way Peter got over it is he knew there would be another trial coming. He would have another chance. And he took advantage of it because he would end up being killed for refusing to disown Jesus. In fact, church tradition says that he was crucified but requested he be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to die the same way Jesus did. He knew there'd be another chance. And that moment, of failure, of lacking faith put in Peter a resolve that next time, next time it's gonna be different. And it was, because God held up the mirror and allowed Peter to see where he was really at. A good coach encourages and points out your good habits. But a good coach also opens your eyes to your weaknesses so that you can work on them together. Because nobody listens to a coach when they don't think they need coaching. Sometimes we find ourselves in the valley because God is allowing us to be purified, made like his son Jesus. That's why James also wrote this. I put it on your outlines. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I've been there. Maybe you've been there, maybe you're there right now in that place where you're in the valley but you can sense that God is doing something good not for you but in you. He's doing something good in you. And if that's where you are, keep asking God to complete the work. Just ask him to keep doing what he's doing in you. Don't long for the end of your time in the valley. Long for the completion of the work that God is doing in you while you're in the valley because you don't want to leave that low place till God is done doing what he wants to do in you. The goal isn't comfort and ease. The goal is to become more like Jesus. And if that's the reason we find ourselves in the valley, then James would say, hey, count it all joy. Count it all joy. God's doing a work in you. Be glad about that. Secondly, and similarly, you may be in the valley for the reason of preparation. The reason of preparation. In 2 Timothy, it says, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Church, we're really going to reign with Jesus it's really going to happen first for a thousand years in the millennium as Jesus reigns on the Earth as its king, and then in eternity in a way that we can 't even fathom. But this is really going to happen. You're not going to be floating around looking like a baby in a diaper, shooting heart-shaped arrows at people from clouds. You are going to have assignments and responsibilities that are going to be incredible and fulfilling. We're really going to reign with Jesus. it's really going to happen. And God really does prepare us for that using this life. We all understand the reality and necessity of temporary pain for the sake of greater benefit at a later time. Examples abound in our lives. The temporary pain of working out for the benefit of greater health. The temporary pain of saving for retirement and sacrificing financially now so that you can have a financially secure future later. The temporary pain of a small burn on your child's fingers so they will learn not to touch fire with their whole hand. We all understand that not all pain is bad. Sometimes pain is necessary and important for our benefit. And yet we understand that doesn't make the pain any less real in the moment. It's just that we recognize the future benefits of that temporary pain make it so worth it. So with that in mind, let's remind ourselves again that this life, the length of this life, is a grain of sand compared to the beach of eternity, and that's still an inadequate comparison. A grain of sand compared to the beach of eternity. So, would a genuinely good God cause our lives to encounter things that would benefit us for this life or for eternity? If that's the scale, a grain of sand compared to a beach, which one would God prioritize if He were really good? Which one? The answer is obvious. Just as a good parent raises their child with the end in mind, the adult they will become one day, how much more does our perfect and loving Heavenly Father parent His children, you and I, with our end, our eternal destiny in mind? That's our equivalent of adulthood, is eternity in the presence of Jesus. Sometimes the valleys we find ourselves in have nothing to do with anything that we're going to encounter in this life. Sometimes there's no answer coming in this life. But rather, it has to do with the glorious truth that we're destined to rule and reign with Jesus for eternity. And my prayer is that when it is revealed to you that that's the reason you're in the valley, I hope that our response would be do it Lord because I would rather profit for eternity than have some temporary relief right now. I'd rather be great in your kingdom than great here on earth. Jeremiah was a mighty prophet of the Lord and his story is described in the Old Testament book that bears his name. His name means God exalts which was appropriate because no man would ever say anything nice about him during his whole life. He had the catchy and uplifting nickname, the weeping prophet, and I'll tell you why. Israel had been wicked for a long, long time, and God was going to send judgment upon them in the form of famine, and then he was gonna allow them to be conquered by the Babylonians and scattered across the known world, their best and brightest taken off to Babylon in captivity. God gives Jeremiah the job of going around to Israel, listing the sins of Israel to them so they will understand why this coming judgment is going to happen. You can imagine how beloved he was. God's other instructions to Jeremiah included, don't marry or have kids because someone's probably going to try and kill them because they hate you so much. And basically, this is what God says. If anybody's ever getting together in a group to have a party or have fun, yeah, don't do that. You can't do that. God's encouragement to Jeremiah was, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Just to be clear, that's not a promise of victory. It's just a promise that they're not gonna be able to kill him. Everyone's gonna hate you. They're always gonna be trying to kill you, but they won't be able to kill you. That's great, super. You study his life, it becomes very obvious he wished that somebody would kill him at several times. Jeremiah was attacked by his own brothers. He was beaten and put in the stocks by a priest and a false prophet. He was imprisoned by the king, threatened with death. They tried to starve him to death by throwing him into a muddy well, and he was opposed by a false prophet. The first time people try to kill him, Jeremiah complains to God, and all God says in response is, It's going to get worse. When he's put in the stocks and laughed at and mocked, Jeremiah complains to God because he's so miserable. Being mocked by everyone, but God has put this conviction to preach in him that is like a fire inside of him. He has to preach, but every time he preaches, it makes his life more miserable. When somebody's finally nice to him, it's Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the conquering Babylonians. When he seized Jerusalem in 586 BC, he ordered that Jeremiah be freed from prison and treated well. Later on, Jeremiah ends up being dragged off to Egypt against his will where he lives out his days trying in vain to get Israel to repent and serve God. Jeremiah was called by God. He lived in the will of God and yet he lived his life as a preacher that nobody ever listened to. Jeremiah is the guy I read about on my bad days and I go, at least I'm not Jeremiah. Did he live a successful life? Not by any earthly standard. I mean, we can't even pretend. There's not a ministry conference on the planet that would invite Jeremiah if he were alive and ministering today. Jeremiah, what happens when you preach? People usually throw things at me. Jeremiah, what happens when you roll into town? People start hurling insults at me, running away from me. Any conversions? None. Any rededications? None. Ever get like a testimony in the mail? Never. Nobody ever listened to anything I said. He would have been considered a nut job failure. And yet from heaven's perspective, he fulfilled the purposes he was put on the earth to fulfill. He did what God asked him to do. He was faithful to the end. Here's what I know. Jeremiah wouldn't change a thing if he could. Because I know that when it comes to failure and success in life, we only have part of the picture. We have a very small part of the picture. We're on one side of eternity and we can't see the other side yet. We have no idea what Jeremiah's life looks like now in eternity, but it's a pretty safe bet that his eternal rewards are incredible and his assignments in ruling with Jesus are going to be incredible because during this life he proved himself to be a man who would be faithful to God even when it cost him everything. Not just one time, but when it cost him everything over decades and decades of his life. Jeremiah's life was a resounding success from the only perspective that matters, the perspective of eternity, the perspective of Jesus. Sometimes we're in the valley because God is preparing us now for something great that's gonna take place much later, in eternity to be specific. And I guarantee that no person who has ever suffered in this life for God will ever come up to you in heaven and say, can you believe how mean God was during my time on the earth? No one who's been martyred for Christ, no one who's been tortured for Christ will ever come up to you in heaven and say, can you believe how mean God was? You know what they'll say? They'll say, I'm so glad God loved me enough to cause me to benefit in eternity forever rather than simply having an easy life in that little blip we call earthly life. There will not be a person who will come up to you in heaven who has suffered for Jesus because of Jesus who will say, I wish I didn't have to go through that. They're all thankful. They're all blessed. They're all rewarded. Sometimes we're in the valley because we're being purified. Sometimes we're in the valley because we're being prepared, but let's keep it real. Sometimes we're in the valley as a result of the natural consequences of our own decisions. You can write that down. It's the natural consequences of our own decisions. You see, if you get fired from your job because you're late for work 80% of the time, you're not being purified. You're not being prepared. You're not being persecuted. You're just being a bad employee. And bad employees usually get fired. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one, but I have to point it out because sometimes we end up in a bad place in life because we've made some bad or foolish decisions. And sometimes there's nothing more to it than that. Sometimes we're under tight financial pressure because we took on a car payment we had no business taking on. That's a bad decision. There's nothing spiritual going on. It's just math. We made a bad decision. If that's you and you're in the valley because you made some bad decisions... The solution is really simple. might not be easy, but it's simple. Stop making bad decisions. Stop making bad decisions. Stop hanging around with people that make you make bad decisions. Stop going to places where it's easy to make bad decisions. Get some wise counsel. Start talking to mature believers before you spend large amounts of money. Get some advice from somebody who's good with money. Get some advice from someone who knows what it means to work hard. Get the right role models in your life, even as an adult. The Bible talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. In Galatians, it says, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It's real simple. If you're sowing bad things, if you're sowing weeds and thorns into your life, you're not going to wake up to a beautiful garden one day. That's not going to happen. You're going to reap what you sow. It's the law of the natural universe. Yes, what some would call karma really is true. It's cause and effect across most of the universe with one glorious exception, the gospel. The gospel. Because in the gospel, we don't get the effect of what we caused. In the gospel, we don't reap what we've sown. In the gospel, we reap eternal life where we have sown destruction instead. That's what's so beautiful about the gospel. It's not what we deserve. It violates the natural laws of the universe. It's something else entirely. It's something amazing. But for you and I, in life, we're generally gonna reap what we sow. It's just that simple. Sometimes that's why we're in the valley. And if that's the reason you find yourself in the valley right now, you just gotta ride that thing out and make better decisions next time. It's just life happening. You're not being persecuted. You just gotta ride it out. Here's another one. Sometimes we're in the valley because we're experiencing the discipline of the Lord. Write that down, the discipline of the Lord. Hebrews tells us, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. But I wanna read it to you from the New Living because it makes it a little bit more clearly. It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. I've shared before that when I go to the park, I don't step in and discipline other people's kids. I want to sometimes, but I don't because there's laws and things like that. But mostly it's because they're just not my kids. They're not my kids. They're not my responsibility. But when my kid is being unkind, when my kid is having a bad attitude, I'm gonna step in and bring discipline. Why? Because I care how they turn out. I care how they turn out because I want them to have healthy and fulfilling relationships in life. I want them to know how to treat people the right way so that they can sow good things in life because I want my kids to reap good things in life. A loving parent disciplines their children for the good of their children. And God does the same thing for us. If we're rebelling against him, if we're rejecting what his word says, he knows that's gonna cause destruction in our lives. He knows that, and he doesn't want that for us. So he lovingly disciplines us. If you know that you're living in disobedience to the Lord in an area of your life, and you find yourself in the valley in a low season, You shouldn't be sitting there racking your brain or seeking wise counsel for answers. You need to repent. You need to get right with God before you do anything else, even though you're hoping that's not it, even though your brain is probably working overtime to convince you that's not it, that's it. That's what's going on. And a good parent doesn't drop the issue when they know it's going to bring destruction into their child's life. And God is not gonna drop the issue either. If you're in sin, you know it. God's not gonna say, oh, we'll just deal with that another time, let's get on with things. He's a good, loving father who wants what's best for us and he's not gonna let it go. If that's the reason you're in the valley, let me put it this way, if you're unrepentantly living in sin repeatedly as a lifestyle in an area of your life and you're in the valley, don't lie to yourself. Those things are connected. They're connected. Lastly, sometimes the reason we're in the valley is just because we live in a fallen world. Write that down. We live in a fallen world. We talked about this at length in week one of this series. I encourage you to listen online if you missed it, but sometimes cancer hits and they die. Sometimes a spouse decides they're done and there's nothing the other spouse can do about it. Sometimes there's a car crash and Sometimes you get fired and you didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes it's not purification or preparation. Sometimes you didn't make a bad choice and you're not in sin. Sometimes it's just that we live in a fallen world where our collective sin creates pain and suffering. And in those moments, in those seasons, we rejoice that this is not the end. This is not how it's going to be forever. It won't always be like this. There's a reason that heaven has been the hope of believers for almost 2,000 years. There's a reason why slaves who spent their whole lives in chains didn't write songs about overcoming in this life or victory in this life. What did they write? They wrote, I'll fly away. Oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. That was their hope. Their hope was it's not always going to be like this. We won't always be slaves. The world will not always be broken. In the darkest moments, there's still hope. There's the hope that Jesus wrote a new ending to our story. And it's better and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. There's always the hope of heaven for you and I. There's always the hope of heaven. So seek counsel. Do your best to discern why you're in the valley respond as needed you don't need to persevere if you're in sin you don't need to show long suffering you need to repent if you're in sin and I want to share a few more practical points on how you can respond over the course of days weeks months and years and again to be clear these practical pointers do not apply to you if you're in the valley because you're sinning if you're sinning you need to repent that's it Likewise, these do not apply to you if you're in the valley because you've made some bad or foolish choices. You don't need to persevere in making bad choices, okay? You need to change your life so you get as far away from bad decisions as you can. These practical pointers are for you if you find yourself in the valley because you're being purified or prepared or are just experiencing the pain and suffering that comes from living in a fallen world. The Apostle Paul was most likely purified, prepared, and suffered due to the fallenness of our world during his ministry you can read about his life in in the book of acts in detail the stuff the guy went through was just unbelievable he suffered a lot and in his letter to the ephesian church paul shared one of the great lessons he had learned i believe in the valley the lesson was this make a note of this we are at war we are at war In Ephesians 6, Paul's masterpiece on this war, he reveals the type of war we're in. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul says we're in a spiritual war. There are forces at work in the spiritual realm that are out to destroy us. Every time we're in the valley, Romans 8.28 says... God is working something good for us. Even in the midst of tragedy, he's gonna do something good out of that. At the same time, Satan is looking to take advantage of our weakened state to destroy us. The saying really is true. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And when we're in the valley, we're usually tired. We're beat up, we're exhausted, we're running on fumes, but we're still at war and the enemy isn't taking a day off. If you and I are gonna handle being in the valley well, if we're gonna handle being in the valley in a way that honors God and we're gonna come out of it with a testimony that glorifies God, if we're gonna make it, we've gotta equip ourselves for the war that we're in. We've gotta recognize the reality. We're in a war. What are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do about it? This could be a whole nother sermon, but don't worry, I'm not gonna do that to you. But I am gonna give you good value right here. And I'm gonna encourage you to unpack these more on your own time. There's three main areas that we need to focus on equipping ourselves in. Three arenas where this spiritual warfare is going to unfold. So the first and most obvious, write this down, is the spirit, your spiritual life. The spirit, we're talking about the necessities of the Christian diet, the absolute essentials that we cannot properly function without at any time. Having a daily time in God's word. Get yourself a good commentary so that you can understand what you're reading. Or find somebody who teaches through the Bible. Go listen to sermons online and have them walk through the word of God. Get in the habit of talking to God. You know that's all prayer is. It's talking to God. Every day, share your needs with God. Share your fears. Share your concerns. And thank him that everything in his word is true. You'll find there's incredible release in just pouring out your heart to God. Just speaking out loud, just telling them everything that's bothering you, everything that's weighing on you. It's therapeutic, it's cathartic, it's good for you by design. Even when it's difficult, here's a huge one. You need to be around your brothers and sisters of the faith. You need to be here with your church. And if you're in the valley, especially, you need to find some sort of midweek group to be a part of, like the men's and women's groups we have. Why? Because Satan loves to isolate believers when they're going through a difficult time. He loves to isolate you because once he gets you alone, it's so much easier to lie to you because there's no one around to tell you that he's lying to you. There's no one there to feed you the truth, to counteract the lies that he's telling you. Every Sunday you come to church, you have the chance to take communion. And when you do, you are reminded that you belong to Jesus. He's got you. He's forgiven you. And the only way that Satan can make you forget that is to isolate you. You gotta fight to be with your brothers and sisters. You gotta do whatever it takes. You don't need to pretend that life is easy. You don't need to put on a mask when you come hang out with your church family, but you gotta get here. You need it. I need it. And I'm so passionate about this because it never ceases to amaze me how even incredibly mature Christians who've been walking with God for decades will just pull out of church. When things get really difficult, they go through a tragedy. I just need some time alone. That's the last thing you need. That's the last thing you need. Only reason you do that is if you think church is a place where you have to come and pretend to be happy all the time. You can come here and be in the valley, but you gotta get here, you gotta get here. Please, 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 let's be people who are wise enough to recognize what's going on when we have that drive in us to just be alone instead of connecting with the body of Christ, instead of taking communion, instead of lifting up the name of Jesus, instead of opening his word. Do you really think the voice that's telling you to do that is giving you good advice? Is telling you something that's going to be good for you? Let's be mature enough that even when we have to drag ourselves out of bed to church, we recognize, man, I I need this. I need this. I gotta be with the people of God. Let's make sure we do that. You've got to equip your spirit, and secondly, you've got to equip your mind. You've got to equip your mind. Paul also wrote this in 2 Corinthians. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then underline this on your outlines, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Have you noticed that your mind and my mind don't naturally think godly thoughts? Don't just run wild with godly thoughts on their own if we don't do anything? So how do you change that? Well it starts by what we choose to think about intentionally and that's affected by what we allow our eyes to see and our ears to hear. It's affected by which thoughts enter our mind that we allow to run their course? We say, oh, let's just follow that thought to its conclusion. And which thoughts we say, that's not going any further. That's done. The mind that is thinking godly thoughts is the mind that has peace. So if we're at war, we have to be at war with the things that cause our mind to think ungodly thoughts. Men, we are visually driven That's why we're married, we're visually driven. You are going to have a hard time equipping your mind to think godly thoughts if you are consuming media, on your TV, on the internet, on your phone, that you and I both know is going to play back in your mind like a videotape being pulled off a shelf, what a dated reference, a DVD, still dated, computer file that you play over and over and over again. I'm getting old. We know that if we consume something that's media that we shouldn't be looking at as men, that goes into the data bank and it's gonna play back over and over and over again. And we're gonna run to that when we're stressed or anxious for a form of relief. It's gonna become our mental drug. We're gonna run to that sin and rehash it over and over and over again. If you're at war and you wanna have a mind that's ready for war, you are sabotaging yourself. When you consume media that you know is gonna play back over and over and over again, if you want the opposite, if you want a mind that will run to Jesus that thinks of him, then do what Paul told the Philippian church to do. He said, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Think about these things. There's stuff that I don't watch or listen to not because I'm scared of it, not because I'm not allowed to, but because I want my mind to think a certain way. I have a hard enough time trying to be righteous without sabotaging myself through my entertainment choices. I want to be somebody who runs to the one who gives life rather than the one who deals in death and destruction. The best way to do that is to Fill your mind with God's word. Have that daily time in his word. If there's a verse you want to memorize, man, tape it to your bathroom mirror, tape it to your steering wheel. Turn off the music that's filling your mind with evil and turn on something that's giving glory to God instead. This is not a an 80s style, it's evil, it's going to infect you sort of thing. This is just about who who do you want to be? How do you want your mind to work? And you have to be ruthless about what you allow into your life, especially in the area of media. You have to be ruthless about it. And you have to be honest with yourself about how it affects you. Finally, thirdly, I wanna talk about equipping your body. Write that down, your body. And you might think, well, wasn't this spiritual warfare that we're talking about? It is. But listen, the body can have a huge impact on the mind. And what do you say to the depressed person who says, I, I know I should read my Bible. I can't even get out of bed in the morning to read my Bible. What do you say to them? Sounds like you just need more of the word. Go back to the first thing I said. I can't get out of bed, I'm depressed. You know, if you or I met with somebody who told us, man, I don't know what it is. I just feel lethargic all the time. Like I'm just weak and defeated. I'm really under attack, brother. We do a little digging, and we find out they're eating about 500 calories a day. Are any of us going to say, well, the answer's obvious. You got to kick your prayer life up a notch. They need to eat a burger. That's what they need to do. They need to eat something and get some energy back. Not everything is spiritual. Not everything is Spiritual. And sometimes, by not taking care of our bodies, we're sabotaging ourselves in the area of the mind and the area of the spirit because we're making it more difficult than it needs to be. If we're gonna fight well, we've gotta equip ourselves spiritually and mentally, and sometimes we can't do that well without taking care of our bodies. If you're too depressed to get out of bed and read your Bible, take your meds. Really, take your meds, get out of bed. I hope and pray you get to the place where you can get off them, but if that's what gets you out of bed, take your meds so that you can get out of bed and open the word of God and read it. That's not an unholy or unrighteous thing. If we're not physically active, and I don't mean walking to pick up the mail, I mean exercising, science, right? Science tells us that we're not getting the stress relief we need or the endorphins that we need. If you don't know what endorphins are, they're literally the happy chemical. They're like a drug your body naturally produces that makes you happy when you exercise. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I've watched people exercise. That is not going to make me happy. But after it's all done and you've showered and you sit down for breakfast, you feel great, I promise. But I share this because just like the person who is lethargic from only eating 500 calories a day, sometimes what you need to get through the day when you're in the valley It's not to just dig into the word some more, but it's to get out and exercise and walk and get your body working the way it's designed to function. And if that's true for us, we're gonna naturally find our mind thinking more clearly, more positively, which makes faith easier and gives us more natural energy to get into God's word and pray. And why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I don't wanna be that pastor who tells the person in his church who just needs to get some endorphins going, what you need to do is pray more. What you need to do is read your Bible more. The reality is you might find going out and working for 30 minutes gives you the energy to get into your Bible in a way you've never gotten before, gives you the mental clarity to pray with more intensity. And if that's what you need, then that's what you need to do. Not everything is Spiritual. And when you're in the valley, you need that, you need that. Any doctor will tell you, food is the most abused drug and exercise is the least utilized antidepressant. Food is so easy to run to. And when you're in the valley, you're just seeking comfort anywhere you can get it. Whether it's in media you shouldn't be consuming or food you shouldn't be consuming. Just letting yourself go. It's gonna be a physical battle often when you're in the valley. And if you're in a fight, You gotta keep that mentality. We're in a fight, I'm in a fight, I'm gonna do what it takes to fight well, to be at my best, to honor God. I know most people don't wanna hear that, but it's the truth. So seek the counsel of God's word, God's spirit and God's people and determine, discern, diagnose why you're in the valley. Before you start reading books on suffering and about how suffering honors God, first figure out why you're in the valley because you might not be in the valley for any reasons that honor God. You might need to just repent and then equip your body, your mind, and your spirit for the war that you're in. If you're in the valley right now, you're in a war, whether you are willing to recognize it or not. You are, and the question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you gonna do to fight well? What are you gonna do to make sure that you can get into the word of God with focus, that you can pray with focus? I believe that the Lord wants you and I to come out of valley seasons more like him and more prepared for eternity. Do whatever it takes to fight well while you're in the valley. Don't sabotage yourself. Don't sabotage yourself. This is your last fill-in. We don't wanna just get out of the valley. We wanna graduate from the valley. We don't wanna just get out of the valley, we wanna graduate from the valley. What I mean is we don't wanna come out of there crawling, miserable, thank God that's finally over. Where's the testimony in that? This is not a testimony. You can tell somebody else who's suffering, it sucks. It's probably going to suck for a lot longer, but one day it won't suck. Wow, hits you right here. We want to graduate from the valley where we can tell people, hey, listen, I've, I've been where you are, and in that place, here's what I found. I found a closeness to Jesus I've never found. I found a focus on my relationship with Jesus I've never found. And I'm glad to be out of that season. But let me tell you, God did some great things in me through that season. I don't know about you. I want to graduate from the valley. I don't just want to get out of it. You know why else I say that? Because I don't want to just make it out the valley without graduating. Because guess what happens when you don't complete the course? You get to take it again. You get to take it again. That's the great news. If you ignore everything I say and are just miserable while you're in the valley, God will give you another chance. That's the great news. I'd rather graduate because here's the great thing. When you graduate, does it mean you'll never go in another valley? No, it doesn't. But it means when you go in the next one, you're going to be stronger. You're going to handle that one better than you handled the last one. I want to graduate from the valley. I want to graduate. Let's learn how to honor Jesus well while we're in the valley. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you're always with us. And Lord, whatever the reason is, for those of us who are in the valley right now, whether it's sin or our own stupidity, or whether you're doing something profound in us, whatever the reason is, you're with us. You've never left us. You've never forsaken us. And Father, first we want to recognize that and thank you for that and bless you for that, that you have sent the counselor, the Holy Spirit to be with us. Father, I pray for any of us, any of our loved ones who are in a valley season right now. Holy Spirit, would you lead us to having absolute clarity about why we're in the valley, why we're in the valley, so that we can respond well, so that if you're purifying us or you're preparing us, we can embrace what you're doing and say, yeah, this is hard, but God is doing something good. He's doing something good, and we can take comfort in that. Lord, if it's just the effects of a fallen world, thank you that this is not the end. It won't always be like this. We have the hope of heaven that is unwavering, unshakable, and is certain, and we thank you for never leaving us without hope. We pray for those who are, dealing with the fallenness of this world, that you would fill them with your hope, Holy Spirit, the kind that is found in you, not in anything getting better down here, but in the beach of eternity, where we will be at rest, we will be full of joy, we'll be at peace. God, if we find ourselves in the valley because we've just made some bad decisions, we've made some choices that weren't wise, Father, would you give us wisdom? We need your wisdom, Lord. Would you give us the humility to seek wise counsel? And Father, if we need to repent today because we're in the valley as a result of our own sin, Father, help us to take communion today and remember that we're forgiven. We've been set free from that. Help us to turn our backs on that sin and walk away. Walk out the valley being led by your spirit, God, leaving those things behind. Jesus, we bless you. We love you. Thank you that in our darkest times, we're never without hope. We're never without hope. We love you and we bless you. If you're going through something, just be reminded that Jesus has been through it all. He's not judging you. He's not saying, really, this is shaking you up. He's just saying, hey, I know, I know. And I'm with you. I'm with you. And this won't be the end of you. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through His Word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it.